0: All right. Ready to go? I am. That you've done your ice cream?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. You're happy? (laughs) I am. I'm sorry. It's a (laughs) shitty day.
0: Smack somebody. Well, on that note, let's get rolling before I get the smack. (laughs) It's not you. Hello everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise,
1: and I'm your other host, Andy.
0: And this is our new episode. We're creeping up on our anniversary. Yeah, this is episode forty-nine. Ooh! We decided to go with the calendar anniversary, so There's still like a couple of weeks after fifty-two, but yeah, we're getting there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, this is a big body ooh, of work. Ooh,
1: ooh, ooh. <laughs> Look at us committing to something!
0: (laughs) Look at me committing to something. True. Well, kind of me too, because I've been not in a people-y headspace lately, so to have to, like, see people and talk to people has been... uh, And
1: by people, she just means me.
0: Yeah. Like, I get paid to see people at work, and beyond that, I kind of want to, like, shut down and not be involved with people, so the fact that I'm (laughs) still... Be nice. The fact that I'm still here and haven't bailed yet, I'm quite impressed. But... We haven't talked about where our listeners have come from lately That is true, let's do it I have the list Um, Ottawa is big, makes sense We're guilt tripping everybody we know into listening Um, I was going to say getting our name out there With the festival, but that too You know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chicago uh, When we had Anne on in February We picked up somebody in Chicago Hopefully it's Anne, if not one of her friends Uh, Johannesburg, South Africa Ooh, that's new Istanbul Cork in Ireland has been a consistent... I've seen someone from Cork quite a bit. So I think we have a regular listener out there.
1: Hello! Cork. Random (laughs) listener in Cork.
0: Uh, Renfrew, I assume, is either you or Dan.
1: Nope, it's actually Messina. Hi, Messina! Oh, there you
0: go. Uh, Stow Market in the United Kingdom. This is a first for us, Tehran. Ooh! I know. I certainly hope you're a woman who's getting some... Kicks off of the fact that we're too feminist, and we would probably sponsor you to come here if you ever needed to. <laughs> you know, uh, Raleigh is another Raleigh, North Carolina is another. They've always been like-, like, yep. Coburg in Australia and Mountain View, which I think might be Valerie, who was our first like oh, nice. mega fan, yeah. if you will. She's been consistently with us, so. Thank you to everyone all over the world who has been listening. That's just this week's listeners, too. We can go back. There's others. I've seen ones from India and um, Russia in the past. Uh, So, yeah.
1: I think we pick up, like, some random people with the the tags that we put on for Instagram and, and stuff, like, for specific stories. For specific stories. Yeah. Uh, So our top three countries
0: are Canada, the US, the UK, and Norway. Well, again, we've always been popular in In Norway. Norway, Which makes me happy because, like, at least once a week, there's a story that comes out of, like, the um, Scandinavian countries, how they're the happiest country in the world. And I desperately want to move there. So if you want to enter some sort of, like, green card marriage arrangements with me, just, like, you know, reach out. Man or woman, I'm fine either way. Uh, it's a fake marriage anyway, so... I'd be good. I'd be Dan.
1: <laughs> you have to like cats.
0: Yes. Probably not the two that I have now, because I don't think either of them would want to travel with me, so you would inherit my cats, and I would take off. And you and Dan would just live on Reactin for the rest of your lives.
1: <laughs> I can't take Reactin; it, t- it reacts with my antidepressants.
0: Okay, Benadryl. <laughs> you'll find something. Or yeah. you'll suffer. You know, it'll be worth it. They just like piss and shit everywhere. Other than that... <laughs>
1: Totally worth it. Don't no, watch your cats, no offense. Actually Welly. If I wasn't so allergic, he's lovely. I don't know if I'd want Maggie. She's a bit of an a-hole. She is.
0: <laughs> she she is yes. She has these knots because it's summer, so she's like the hair is like hot and so she's had these knots on her back and she's so squat that she can't reach to like where her tail connects with her body because she's like completely round. And so I was trying to cut them out of off of her the other day and we got into this huge argument. <laughs> Like I was on the floor of the bathroom, she was screaming at me. It got ugly. It was like ten minutes of misery for both of us. And they're still in there. I couldn't get half of them
1: off. I just gave up. She's hiding behind the toilet, and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> the, um, you saw the picture of Megatron, the cat that I yes. sent you. The, the awesomest love- name for a cat ever. Yes, um, but Megs is is quite large. Yeah, <laughs> she's large and she's in charge. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so she's also, well, she's a short-haired cat, so she doesn't Mm -hmm. get too matted, which is nice. Yeah. I don't think she could also reach all, (laughs) yeah, she's browner than she is long, almost.
0: Yeah, there's a blind spot back there for most cats, especially as they get older. Although,
1: she has uh, the cutest water fountain.
0: Oh, yeah. Drinking fountain. need to get one of those. Um, I had one for Welly when he was a kitten and he was afraid of it. Oh, okay. So I don't know if that's the kitten in him or what. But also, where are their food dishes in the kitchen right now? There's no plug, because no, I live true. in, like, a 140-year-old home, so... That's true.
1: But it's so relaxing-sounding. My parents had one, and they hated it because of the noise. Yeah. I found, like, Tina's is really... Megatron's is really, like, relaxing. It's just, like, a little... Sounds like if you were running... Brooke one of those, like, like from, little... Yeah. yeah. Um, one of those little, like... I mean, you don't have cats, but you can always just buy one. I have a, a, a water feature. I just never tur- I, Like, I oh, have there's. a little one in my basement in my office, but... It came into my old office, but I never use it.
0: Hmm. Well, we should probably get going yes. on our stories for this week so that we can take our dinner break and let this room cool down a bit before we record the second one. Yeah, and I could change today. into my shorts that I did too. bring. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I went first last week, so that means you get to go first this week.
1: Which is good, because mine's a continuation. Oh, yeah. You're going to do conspiracy theories, right? Yes. On the moon? Yes. All and right. that is what I did. All right. Tell me all about it. So, as promised last week, I was going to talk about the conspiracy theories around the moon landing. In a number of episodes, I talked about flat earthers and how the internet has brought back what everyone thought was a dead debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moon landing conspiracies are a bit different as they were widespread before the internet and continue to be discuss- discussed as with today's topic. Right. It's kind of like so, the Illuminati that I did. Yeah. It's, it's like the pre-internet conspiracy theory. Yeah. So, it's like how it's like these things spread before the internet, now they just spread like wallflower like yeah just just not so good yeah so um as a f- as with flat earthers i wonder how this is a thing right like how people actually believe this so uh before the internet allowed every nut job and jerk with a pla- a platform someone had to get published to spread their kool-aid which is what bill katzin did when he self-published a book titled we never went to the Bo- moon in 1974 this was the grandmother of all moon conspiracies, and the first time, the topic was committed to paper.
0: I would like to call it the grandfather instead of the grandmother, because I feel that the insult to women linking us to this nonsense.
1: <laughs> Everybody always says grandfather, and I'm like, no, no, this spawned a bunch. I think we might want to call it a mother. <laughs>
0: mm. <laughs> <laughs> Crush the patriarchy and let them have their Drew. naming rights for these
1: stupid things. <laughs> so, Cat uh, Zane, who died in 2005 Five Was a technical writer At a space contractor Rocketdyne in the 1950s This led people to think that he actually Knew what he was talking about when he insisted That the moon landings were really filmed by Director Scan- Stanley Kubrick At a production studio in Area 51 Right Yeah. The 70s were a weird time They were, yes And as I said last week, the late 60s and early 70s Were a depressing time in America With everything from the Vietnam War To the corruption of Watergate leading the average person to distrust anything the government might be telling them. In this environment, cat scenes didn't have to work too hard to convince an already skeptical public that the Apollo space program and the first moon landing was a sham. The Knight newspaper company in July of 1970 found that a whopping 30% of Americans believed the moon landing was faked. Good lord. Also, you gotta remember the time. A lot of ass at the Vietnam War. Watered like the scandals, yeah, yeah. Still though, well, I, I get it. But anyways, <laughs> um, and then, and a Gallup poll in 1976 found that still 28% of Americans Americans believe the moon landing had been staged by the U.S. government. This remains consistent in the entire 70s. It's so like 30% ish. Yeah,
0: Okay. A third of Americans are needed help
1: at that time. <laughs> yes. What is his proof that it was faker than a real housewife's lips? Well, (laughs) he and every other truth or sense him have a few critical points. Of course. Of course. First, he insists that it simply wasn't possible given the technology of the day. This argument was made through a lot of hand-waving and suggesting that his first-hand knowledge from Rocketdyne gave him some special insight. Instead, maybe just Rocketdyne was behind the
0: curve on what was possible, and that's why they weren't given the contract for the Apollo?
1: Also, he was a technical writer. He wasn't oh. actually. So anyways, <laughs> so he wrote, as a witness to many rocket engine tests at the San Suzanne lab, I saw many failures, blow ups and premature engine cutoffs due to insepid disaster. Even after a relatively mod- modest Atlas engine cluster was accepted by the Air Force for use in the Atlas ICBN, failures occurred with repeated regularity. People believed him, even though he would sometimes admit he knew zero about
0: rockets. Right. And if your company was only able to get a modest engine into an intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missile, again, you are not the big dogs fighting for the
1: NASA contracts. No. Uh, So he has no knowledge, but pretends to know more than actual experts. Conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. (laughs) M.O. Secondly... uh, Katzin wrote repeatedly that the absence of stars in the photos taken on the moon proved that humans never went there. There are no stars in any of their pictures, Katzin told a New Jersey newspaper in 1977. If they were taken on the moon, there would have been some stars as evidence. The suggestion is that this is some kind of oversight on the part of NASA and proved that it was fake. However. In reality, there's a lot of good reasons you don't see stars in the photos from the moon. But we probably understand that better than they could have in the 1970s. Anyone who's used a smartphone to take a picture of the night sky when there's a single annoying light source can get easily frustrated. Mm -hmm. Astronauts are exposed to a lot more direct sunlight in space. So if you expose the picture using an appropriate aperture for the surface of the moon, you're not going to capture relatively little light from the stars. To see stars, you would have to set the camera's aperture wide enough, and this would result in you getting a picture like was posted on YouTube but the great debunker of the moon hoax people from videos from space. So basically it almost washes out everything mm-hmm. else, but you could see stars. Oh, okay. So, like, to get the actual stars, you wouldn't have seen anything else, right. because of the way that you would have had to... Sort of like, you try to take a A photo of the stars with your camera phone. Like, you have to do a time lapse with a special camera, right? With a long
0: aperture. Also, let's assume that it was faked by Stanley Kubrick at Area 51. Do you think one of the greatest filmmakers of his generation, in terms of, like, cinematics and visuals, was going to leave low-hanging fruit, like, stars behind?
1: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Also, if it was filmed, like, there's so many people needed to film this nobody would have caught it (laughs) nobody talked you mean
0: nobody talked well that too (laughs) like nobody talked but that's that's the conspiracy theory like counter to everything right like every conspiracy theory like the way you counter it is like nobody talked i'm talking about like the stars like that is true just just that one aspect and you're right there would have been a lot of people involved in filming and nobody would have seen the film and said oh no we missed the stars let's add those like
1: yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) one favorite claim of his and other deniers is that acclaimed director stanley kubrick was involved in faking the moon landing why well because 2001 a space odyssey which was released the year before included some of the most impressive special effects work that have ever been done to date and it helped create the theory that kubrick actually directed the footage we now know today as the apollo landing right According to Katzin, while 2001 was being filmed, Kubrick and his crew consulted with nearly 70 industrial and aerospace corporations, universities, observations, weather bureaus, laboratories, and other institutes to ensure that the film would be as technically accurate as possible. So the movie was part of the cover up. Because if he wasn't doing 2001, he wouldn't have been able to ask those questions. So I think Katzin is actually just saying that the whole 2001 movie is a front. And it gets better. So the movie, in fact, Katzine even points to the famous ballooning budget of the film as more evidence that Kubrick was in on the moon hoax, insinuating that the director was paid by NASA to stage the cover up.
0: Rather than just a artiste who had a sense of, I want to do more and present more than anyone has before. Right. Got yeah. it. Okay. The fact that Kubrick couldn't stay on budget in any of his films, right? <laughs> I it's think that, he was notorious. That artiste temperament of the art comes before the
1: reality. Yeah. yeah. Kubrick directed the space landing cover-up, as I said, is a popular theory, which is why at least four movies based are based on the idea. And this is just a quick search search on my part. Huh. So, in 1978, Capricorn One was released. 2002, Dark Side of the Moon, which is a French miniseries. 2015 was the very bad movie, Moonwalkers, with uh, Rupert Gritt, who played Ron. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Ron Perlman was also in that one. It's weird. Okay. I've seen it. It was on Netflix. It's not good. <laughs> um, and the 2016 movie, Operation Avalanche, which apparently is pretty good, is all about this sort of concept of faking the moon landing. I think I've heard of one of them, and I definitely have not seen any of them. Yeah. You probably just heard of the Moonwalker one, because I think I was no. telling you. No? It, the first one you mentioned oh. the name. Capricorn one, yes. Yes. But I'm pretty sure I was telling you about the one that I watched probably. with Ron Weasley. Like, like
0: yeah, it didn't sink in. Because it was
1: awful, and it yeah. was a lot of acid. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there was a lot of acid in it. Um, Katzine's book also includes photos of hotels in Las Vegas. He says Vegas is where the astronauts lived while they were supposed to be on the moon. (laughs) Why Vegas? According to him, because the astronauts and their publicity managers wanted to live it up in style.
0: Right. Because they weren't the most famous faces on the planet at the time. So let's go to one of the most populous
1: locations. And I know that what stays... The saying is what stays in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But again, this is three of the most famous men on the planet at yeah. that time. Like, even I'm sure, like communist newspapers had pictures of these guys on the
0: front page.
1: Like, yes, everyone. So I'm pretty known. sure if someone was like, "Hey, I watched you on the moon an hour ago. What are you doing gambling at this casino?" <laughs> so even if it was fake, they wouldn't have been in Las Vegas. They would have been pulled yeah. up in a cabin in the middle of nowhere somewhere, yeah. so that no one could have like, yeah, stupid. <laughs> Another piece of quote-unquote evidence that Katzine spends a considerable amount of time on throughout the book is the fact that the practice sessions the astronauts conducted look like a fake moon landing. Which is not wrong, but the photos are just of training runs. You know, that stuff they do before hurling people into space. Yeah, I, I would assume it looks, it doesn't look like
0: they're on the moon because they weren't on the moon for these.
1: No, but it's sort of that same motions that they're doing and... It looks like they right. could have maybe photoshopped, like, a moon background right. onto them. All right. Because they're doing a lot of the same movements they would have been doing. They're just practicing using their... The gear and the equipment. The gear and the equipment. You know, getting used to things. Yeah. Because they also had, like, a moon surface yeah. laid out, so they could yeah.
0: also So it wouldn't
1: be, like, the Clive
0: Kessler stories where they were getting, like, moon nausea. Because they were on the moon for the first time. Yeah. Got
1: it. So. um, What was I going to say? So you... Sadly, these photos have stuck around and are used as evidence today on the internet. Ralph Wren is another moon hoaxer who gained prominence before we as a society were online. He (laughs) published a couple of books. Fun fact, his first book was called Mensa Lectures, but it had to be retitled The Last Skeptic of Science after Mensa (laughs) reportedly sued for (laughs) using the name without permission. I was going to say because Mensa was smart enough to see where that was going and stopped him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so his second book, published in 1994, called NASA Mooned America, <laughs> exclamation point, the book, which is still available on Amazon today, please don't buy it, people, please don't give these people money, <laughs> um, has many similarities to Katzine's work from the 70s, and this even includes some even more outlandish claims. Oh, good. Do you know what one of the most damning piece of evidence that Ren has? Renée has, I guess? Is it the the shadows? Okay. Buckle up. He feels that the astronauts don't look sufficiently excited upon their return. Because <laughs> I just like flew into the Earth's orbit in like an easy bake oven. and <laughs> So the adrenaline still a little like got me a little loopy. So there's this photo, which I will put, put up on the gram to show. Um, and he says shows that the astronauts are actually embarrassed that they just lied to the American public. I will granted that the picture they don't look very pleased or happy, as you might expect people who just went to the moon and, like, safely came back. However, I will let you know that the journey back to Earth took three days. After they (sighs) land, they have to climb into a raft where they have to scrub each other down. Because of lunar germs. (laughs) Put on a pea green hazard suit that covers them from head to toe. After that, they're moved from where they were picked up. Uh, into a quarantine area in Houston, which was basically an Airstream trailer about the size of your living room. Okay. In this small space was a office, a medical lab, a bedroom with six bunks, a kitchen and a den, and on top of the three astronauts was a doctor and a cook. Wow.
0: Slash steward. After they had already spent how many days cooped up together? Yeah, and they had to stay in this trailer for three weeks. I guess now it seems silly because we know there's
1: nothing living up there, but, like, at the I get time, it. I get it. Like, but, so, yeah, you would expect it to be more excited because they just sav- traveled safely to the moon and got in and walked back home. But when you take all that into account, like, they're probably tired. They're... They probably never want to see each other's face again. Yeah. <laughs> and that picture, they're taken, like, it's taken through a glass and they're talking to Nixon, who was in just... Mm sort of starting to get the Watergate scandal was just right. Really getting him like heating up. So yeah, it's reasonable to think that they might be like less than thrilled.
0: Also maybe all three of them just had like resting bee face and like yeah. the camera just caught it all.
1: Yeah, or like like it's just could have been that bad moment where we're like, Yeah. <laughs> Again, they're talking to Nixon. So maybe they were just less than pleased to talk to Nixon. Right. I could spend many episodes on this topic but I have covered the main theories, and I just want to cover a few other popular or really far out there theories. So, the flag is also a popular one. I didn't mm-hmm. cover the shadows, I forgot about that one. The footage of the landing, the flag appears to be moving, which, as we all know, could not happen in a vacuum. So many people claim that that means the whole thing is fake. Right. Well, think about it. This is like, it looks like it's moving when they're putting the pole in the ground, like the flag looks like it's moving. Right. So you think about it. You are trying to jam this pole into the hard surface of the moon. Yeah. You're wearing larger than oven mitts. So pictures trying to do this with two sets of oven mitts on your hand. Yeah. In somewhere that has less than great gravity. So it's trying to lift up and you're trying to jam it down. Yeah. Also, the reason the flag sticks out is because it had wires in it. Right. To keep it. Because they knew there was no, like... It wouldn't Breeze So yeah yeah. So think about it It Like again When you think about it logically When you're like That person is trying to jam it down They've got these giant mittens on Right Like we're We come from Like a cold climate in the winter It's hard It's impossible to grip anything With your mittens No yeah and they're wearing giant mittens. <laughs> See, I'd always, like, I've never
0: really dug in on these stories, because I believe the moon landing actually happened. Uh, but I've heard that, and I always assumed like people meant like it was moving while they were standing back and away from it. But it sounds like they're saying while yeah. they were putting...
1: Yeah, it looks like it's like, you know, when a- just as he's putting it down, or just as he's done, but still, like... Well, like, of course, then. Like, he was yeah. just touching it.
0: That's like Ghost Adventures where they freak out that something moved. they like, buddies, you just like brushed up against something. Like,
1: yeah. calm down. Calm down, Bagel Bites. Yeah. Calm down. He just bought um, Charlie Manson's house. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Bagel oh. Bites. I hope it goes better than the uh, demon house that he bought. I don't. <laughs> I don't know why, but I, uh, I just hope Aaron doesn't have to live in there. Uh, random things on the moon. So a photograph taken by the Lunar Orbiter in February of 1967 shows a mile-high piece of something rising from the surface of the moon. NASA conspiracy theorist Richard Hoganland said that this should be called the Shard, like the building in London, I guess, and argued that no geological phenomenon can explain it, so it must be artificially made. It turns out later that he was lying and processed the image by adjusting the contrast and using a smoothing filter so that a spot of light on the image turned into said shirt. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Good old Photoshop. Uh, remember those astronauts that died in the accident, I said? The fire? Yes. Yeah. Uh, according to some theorists, that was not an accident, but they were murdered by the government because the government thought they were going to tell the truth. Oh, wow. I roll. And I actually put in bracket. I roll is this also why JFK was assassinated too? Like <laughs> there's nothing about JFK. <laughs> uh, and my personal favorite and the most bonkers theory that I found and I stopped looking after this one because I don't think I can, can get it. You could top it. it. No, no, cannot top it. <laughs> was that the moon isn't real? Oh okay. Not the landing, but the whole moon. Mhm. What? You might ask, what is it? It's an alien spaceship. Okay, well, this was an entire episode of Doctor Who, so. I know. (gasps) That was an alien egg, though. True, 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 true. But this is a spaceship that is used to monitor our planet. Hmm. This came from a website written by a person named Scott Waring, who claims to have found two photos in the NASA Image Atlas in 2013 that have since been deleted. The evidence that NASA deleted is not just a UFO, but it's 100% evidence that the moon is not real, but actually an alien space station, he wrote. According to him, the surface of the moon is covered with debris to make it seem like a natural celestial body, but in reality, it opens up like a gate and allows spaceships to enter in and out. I can't make this stuff up. I really can't.
0: You know what, Scott? I'm all with you. I agree. The moon is a is an alien space station. I'm with you on it, buddy.
1: Like a death star, type yeah, of idea. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Are you convinced that these great arguments give you all the evidence you need? As time went by, all the large a larger percentage of Americans came to accept that we probably landed on the moon. By 1999, just probably. 6 I don't like that caveat of probably. <laughs> <laughs> by 1999, just 6% of Of Americans thought that the entire thing was a hoax. Still too high, but okay. Even though the numbers have gone down, those who believe believe strongly and loudly, and both Katzine and uh, Renee are no longer around, but they do live on through the societal scourge that is the internet, (laughs) both appearing in some of the most popular moon hoax videos currently online. But, like it or not, we did land on the moon. The best evidence, aside from all the Footage, photos, moon rocks, and other such things they brought back with them, is simple. Given the camera technology of the 60s, it would have been harder to fake the moon landing than just to go there. There. Seriously. <laughs> and that's my ma- mic drop. Like, it literally would have been harder <laughs> to fake it right, than so just, just go, go there. there. Yeah. Um,
0: so you said 6% in 1999. Yeah. I would be interested to see what the numbers are today, and I have a sneaking sneaking suspicion they'd be higher.
1: Yes, because every whack
0: job feels like they need to actually tell us their truth now. Well, that too, and also 1999 was the start of the internet culture. Now where we are, there's a big difference. Uh, We have people who will parrot things like fake news, if you put a microphone in their face and ask them what they think of the media. So I think there's a culture of... Believing the underdog and the conspiracy theorists are the underdog.
1: I mean, I, I talked about that when yeah, we talked about Flat Earth, right? Yeah. And uh, I think I will be coming back to conspiracy theories, because it's just oh, too much fun. It's right? like the rabbit hole that never ends. Yeah, like... <laughs> Aside from the goop conspiracy theorist page, which right. I definitely have to go back to, just the main conspiracy theorists, the yeah. like the lizard people, the JFK assassination, like, some of them are really old, yeah. such as the moon landing being fake, the JFK assassination, these predate the internet, yeah. but I just think that they've really caught on a whole level of life yeah. with the internet, and new ones have come up, and... Instead of just being that creepy guy who's in his basement talking to Mulder and Scully about conspiracy theorists, it's now everyone? Sadly, it's your favorite rapper, or possibly your children's teacher, or... Yeah, or the person who cuts your hair. Yeah. Because it's mainstream as opposed to just, like, no one. I mean, these people probably believed some of this stuff before, but they were just never... It was never okay to say it out loud and now for some reason it's okay to say it out loud it's not okay to say it out loud people makes you look dumb (laughs) it's the whole um you can be right
0: and loud and you can be wrong and quiet but you can't be wrong and loud yeah equation that the reed taught us um my favorite moon fact is that flag that they hung up because there's no atmosphere on the moon Uh, it has been bleached by solar rays they figure by now yeah. So, um, if the aliens ever come knocking, there's just a giant white flag of surrender up on our moon. <laughs> so, way to doom us all, NASA.
1: Or uh, hopefully, it's they. If you think it'll be surrender, because we don't know if aliens know that white flag means sure. surrender, so it could mean like a war flag. So we're doomed either way. Exactly. Exactly. Again. We are
0: really creepy, because I think our stories are going to complement each other this week. Again, well, well,
1: you didn't know what I was going to do, because I did say last week that I would do conspiracy. But I prepped this for last
0: week, in case we doubled up on the same. That is true, yes.
1: Yeah. So,
0: uh, my story this week was inspired by a news alert that popped up on my phone a couple weeks ago, about a development in the case of a girl that had disappeared from the Vatican about 30 years ago. Have you been following this? No! Okay. I had the same look and the same like what because i never heard of the case until i got that news pop up so because i never heard of her the case became a rabbit hole for me and i started diving it down and then i fell down other weird stuff about the vatican rabbit holes into like conspiracy territories a little bit so my story this week is going to be part true crime part history part conspiracy all weirdness first of all what am i talking about when i say vatican and or the vatican City? so it's technically the smallest country in the world even though it's a city it was granted independence from italy following the lateran treaty of 1929 and the country covers just 44 hectares of space in the middle of rome and is completely enclosed by a series of walls the Vatican has been the center of Catholicism since Constantine founded St. Peter's Basilica in the 4th century, and has been the permanent seat of the papacy, or head of the Catholic Church, since its founding, with the exception of a couple of short-lived blips when there was a handful of popes running around Europe, all claiming to be the pope. It was an awkward time. Like,
1: but yeah, there was one in, like, France, there was... There was Italy.
0: There was a few. A couple yeah. in Italy. It was a whole thing. Because of its history, the UN has declared Vatican City to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is big, it is beautiful, it is old, it is wealthy, and it is a crime, if you ask me. It's one of the reasons I'm a bit of a lapsed Catholic. No, I'm a full-on lapsed Catholic, and this is one of the very little reasons why. Uh, because I don't like that there are Catholics starving to death in the world, and yet the Vatican is a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, just the, the sheer...
0: Yeah, like, how you can sit on that much wealth. Well, people of your faith suffer. No, no good. So that's just the setting, but I wanted to talk about some of the mysteries and weird stuff that's happened there over time. And that brings me back to the girl who vanished from within its walls about 36 years ago. So Emanuela Orlandi was the fourth of fifth children and her father worked at the Vatican Bank and so it was his job that meant that this family was able to live within Vatican City itself. She was a flautist and though school was out for the year, she was taking flute lessons at her school three times a week. And then on June twenty-second, 1983, 15-year-old Emanuela just disappeared. Uh, though she took the bus to and from her music class, that day she was seen getting into a large, dark-colored BMW rather than taking the bus home. By 3 p.m., Emanuela was late getting home. Or sorry, Emanuela was late getting home, and her parents started calling around looking for her. Though the police initially suggested she was just off with friends, they did declare her a missing person that day. Which, shocking, but usually they insist for more time at that point. Uh, The press picked up on her story pretty quickly, and so her picture and description were widely circulated in Vatican City, but also in Rome and the surrounding areas. And so that was on the 22nd. And then on the 25th, the first credible reported sighting of the girl came in. The story that witnesses gave described her perfectly and claimed that the girl suspected to be Emanuela said that she had been running away from home and another unconnected witness to the first claimed to see a girl who told them the same thing so she had told friends that she was meeting with someone about an avon selling job but then she's seen getting into this big black bmw and then three days later she's at a bar allegedly at a bar and saying i'm running away from home but i'm gonna go back for my sister's wedding and then a, un, like an unconnected witness says he saw some girl at a, um, a piazza and she told them the same thing. So there's questions about right away, like what could possibly have happened to her. By June 30th, there was an estimated 3,000 posters up in Rome with Emanuela's photo. So it's a lot of coverage. Her picture is everywhere. On Sunday, July 3rd, Pope John Paul II made an appeal during a Mass for Emanuela to be returned to her family, which was the first official indication that a kidnapping had been suspected. Before that, she was just a runaway or a missing girl. And that's when the anonymous phone calls started from someone who the authorities dubbed the American because of his accent, who claimed that Emanuela was being held by the same terrorist group that had been behind the assassination attempt on the Pope two years earlier and they were proposing an exchange, Emanuela, for the would-be assassin, who was in jail for that attempt. The agent in charge of the case didn't believe the caller, uh, but it was the first of a bunch of really bonkers theories on what had happened to her. So, even though the agent in charge didn't believe it, the news media did interview a bunch of people attached to um, to the Pope's attempted assassins terrorist group, which is the Turkish ultranationalist neo-fascist youth organization known as the Grey Wolves. And their story was that Emanuela had been taken out of the city and was living in a cloistered convent, but was alive and well. The authorities tracked down this lead, but eventually closed the file on that possibility in 1997. So the assassin was in jail, the attempted assassin was in jail. Just like every other terrorist organization, they took the chance to, that they saw and tried yeah. to make it work for them. Those who subscribe to that possibility, still today there's a big camp that do, think that Emanuela has been living in the Muslim community and is either or has spent considerable amount of time in Paris in a new life. So that's one thought. The man behind the Pope's attempted assassination wrote a letter in 2006 in which he claimed Emanuela and another girl named Mirella Gregori, who also disappeared in 1983, were both kidnapped in order to secure his release from prison, and were for some time held at a royal palace in Liechtenstein. Not a whole lot of details on the whys and wherefores of that, remember he was in jail, so (laughs) I guess he was playing a game of telephone tag with his compatriots on the outside. Uh, That same guy gave an interview in 2010 claiming that the Vatican was actually behind the assassination attempt on the Pope that he was blamed for. And that Emanuela was being held prisoner by the Vatican, but had been transferred to a central European country to live as a nun in a Catholic monastery. Further, he claimed that her family could see her whenever they liked, but that she couldn't leave. So she, living in the Vatican, stumbled across evidence of the fact that the Vatican was behind the assassination attempt, I guess. And they had to...
1: This is a Dan Dan brown Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: another theory was that one of the mobs in rome kidnapped her and i say mob like organized crime yeah um was that uh, one of the mobs in rome kidnapped her in order to force the vatican bank to pay them back for a loan that they had made but that wasn't being paid back and i'll talk more about this theory later because it ties into another of these big vatican mysteries And the most explosive theory is that Emanuela was kidnapped by the Vatican police for sex parties involving a foreign embassy and then was murdered to keep things under wraps. The Italians don't have the strictest libel laws on the books, so publishers get to print pretty much anything. (laughs) Other than the occasional unconfirmed sightings, Emanuela vanished on the afternoon of June 22, 1983, and has not technically and officially been found since. But she wasn't forgotten, and the community has been chasing her shadow ever since. Passionate sermons by Vatican priests are either ascribed to guilty consciences, or they're seen as subtle accusations. So anytime a priest gets up and, like, rails against something that is even tangentially related to young girls, people will say, oh, he's feeling guilty about it, or, oh, he's accusing another person of having been involved with her disappearance. Again, they'll print anything.
1: (laughs) That is true, yeah. These laws are pretty lax, then.
0: Yeah. Uh, being a huge and very old structure, there are literally bodies that pop up from time to time when there's reconstruction or maintenance work being done, and every time a tomb or is opened and an extra skeleton is found or a skeleton isn't found, or a skeleton is found somewhere where a marker should or shouldn't be, there's speculation that it's actually Emmanuela's body. So this family just can't get away from it. Like they're constantly doing renovations there. They're constantly finding bodies. And every time they do, the press picks it up as a possible Emmanuel uh, story. For example, in October, 2018, remains found during renovation work on the Holy See's embassy to Italy in Rome were the subject of speculation regarding the Orlandi affair. An attorney for the Orlandi family objected to the media's attention about it. They were dug up a body at that embassy and the uh, family's attorney said, quote, We have no idea why the association with Emanuela was made. We are still asking ourselves why you'd find some bones and immediately assume that they were Emanuela's. Test results released in February 2019 showed that the body they found was actually the remains of a Roman man who died between ni- 190 and 230
1: AD. <laughs> So they're a little old. They're a little
0: literally if it's a bone, it's Emanuela (laughs) until proven otherwise at this point.
1: Oh my goodness. And that like media really does not let this go. Yeah. Because Because nobody else disappeared there since? Well, it's got this like sexy
0: vibe of like maybe the Pope had a sex party and like she was one of the women
1: forced to be involved. They do have a pension for young people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mostly boys, but (laughs) let's yes so that brings us back to july 2019 this whole if it's a body where it should or shouldn't be it's got to be Emanuela. so on july 10th the vatican announced that they'd be opening the tombs of two 18th century german royals but when they did they found that the tombs were empty three days later a nearby excavation found two sets of bones without a marker And immediately, the rumor mill kicked into gear that it was Emanuela. As opposed to the missing dead people that they couldn't find? Thank you. I read so many articles that did not make that, like, intuitive leap. And I was just like, am I the only one not seeing what this actually probably is? Like, what is happening? They just weren't buried where they should have been. Right. Or they think um, reconstruction work that had happened in the 1870s had displaced the bodies, Mm, and they never moved them back to their proper tombs. Which, probably what happened. Yeah. So sadly for her family, who are very active in the ongoing search for her, Emanuela is still missing, and there are no real leads currently being worked. But the Vatican is an ancient and powerful institution, so there are a lot of mysteries that we can talk about. And that's just one of the most current ones. So I'm moving on to some of the others now. So one of the most mysterious aspects of the Vatican Is its archives They are both the solver of riddles and a riddle themselves Uh, At the end of the day It makes absolute and complete sense That the Vatican is sitting on what is probably The largest collection of humanity's written history For centuries it was the most powerful Wealthy and abiding political organization With a few rough patches As discussed Uh, And they were also out to write and moderate history So they were huge collectors of it
1: By collectors we just mean Stealing right? A little bit of both did steal quite a lot of it didn't they like if ships came into port into rome with books on them they would confiscate them they'd have a scribe write them written by heathens (laughs) of course a scribe re like copy them copy them and then give the copy back and keep the original
0: probably sounds like something they would do along that vein they were out to control access to history Uh, as a species the more that we learn the more we question and so the church collecting materials that would lead to questions about their authority either political financial moral or otherwise makes a lot of sense why they burned a lot of protestants yeah exactly or why
1: they didn't want people to be educated for a very long time or that the bible in english because if no one could read latin then we couldn't know that that's what right It doesn't say, but then again, it's all
0: translated. Exactly. Uh, The archives are a historian's wet dream. It contains unique objects that could make or break a career. They were established by Pope Paul V in the early 1600s, but were open to researchers with a lot of caveats in 1881 by Pope Leo XIII. Now, as back then, journalists, students, and amateur historians are not given access at all. To get in, you have to prove that you're a serious academic, and tell them exactly what you're looking for and your re- credentials are re-evaluated every six months. This is difficult for historians because like when I wrote my thesis I went into the British Library and I pulled up a big old list of what I wanted to see and some of the stuff I would spend a day on other stuff I would take two seconds and decide it wasn't what I was looking for and send it back like it's really just it's a shooting game like you just gotta throw a wide net and hope that you catch a lot of what you need so uh, the fact that you have to be a very serious academic with like a publishing history behind you at a reputable school like a reputable institution that you have to reprove that every six months that you have to go in and tell them exactly what they're looking for when their catalogs aren't public so you have to know what's there without being able to know what's there it's yeah It's a sure way of keeping it very limited to a very particular class of academic.
1: What? The Catholic Church is (laughs) enacting a class system? Right. Why, I never. Uh, Because you have to know what you're
0: looking for, you're only allowed to make requests for three documents a day, and you can't browse catalogs or the shelves. Again, neither of those things make sense for somebody who's hoping to find a gem. (laughs) or anybody who's doing research at all yes true computers and photographs aren't allowed so researchers spend the day in reading rooms writing notes by hand oh that's so quaint i know it really is but i miss writing
1: my notes for this by hand
0: (laughs) i haven't had chance (laughs) Uh, but if you do get in you'll be able to see the following so this these items are confirmed as part of their collections The 60-meter-long scroll that contains the minutes of the Trials of the Knights Templar, which lasted for several years, starting in the 1300s. Yeah, Nick Cage would love it. Uh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Andy loves it. The Papal Bull, issued by Pope Alexander VI in 1493, that split the New World between the Spanish and the Portuguese. Big moment in imperial history. The 1521 papal bull that excommunicated Martin Luther For the whole Protestant thing that came up The 1530 petition Henry VIII sent to Pope Clement VII To annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon The Pope refused, BT dubs That's a whole other
1: That's how we end up with the Church of England Yep
0: A letter from Mary Queen of Scots Begging the Church to intervene shortly before her execution They did not, BT dubs they wouldn't
1: have much juice anyway I was going to say, I don't think Elizabeth would have listened to them anyway <laughs> But sure, worth a try, I suppose
0: uh, Notes relating to the 1633 trial against Galileo A letter from Pope Clement the Twelfth to the 7th Dalai Lama requesting protection for Franciscan missionaries in Tibet Which, I mean, fair play Unless the Pope is welcoming the Dalai Lama for Dinner every other Sunday I don't think they could expect much Letters from both Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, both written in 1863, neither man Catholic, in an effort to have Pope Pius IX come down in favor of the Union or the Confederacy. Huh. So. Documentation of the negotiation between Pope Pius IX and Mussolini to protect the Church's interests in Italy in exchange for not taking a stance on anti-Semitism. And that is a huge... Um, That was a huge find when it came out, because the church forever maintained the fact that they had always opposed the anti-Semitic ramblings of Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin. And then when that came out in the public, everyone was like, yeah, no, we knew you weren't. (laughs) Yeah, and now we can prove it. Yes. Uh, Lots of people, though, think that the archives hold secrets about aliens and other huge conspiracies that... If you don't know it's there, you can't ask for it. And if you can't know it's there, you can't ask for it. You can't see it, type of thing. It doesn't help when things like that whole Pius IX uh, helping the uh, uh, the Nazis come out. The Church denied for years that they were in any way assisting in the anti-Semitic movement that swept through Europe in the '30s. However, it was always believed and then later confirmed that the Pope was secretly in favor and supportive of that movement. Uh, it was really embarrassing for the church, and a lot of historians did the happy I told you so dance that week, I'll tell you that much.
1: Well, like, yeah, you guys have that's always been sort of a back pocket policy of the Catholic Church for decades before, for centuries before. Right? They what, were never the big. Antisemitism? Yeah, they were never oh, big, yeah. big fans of the Jews, so why all right. of a sudden were you going to be like. Because it looked bad. I mean, <laughs> You Again. didn't do anything to help them either, so the whole "the Jews killed Jesus" thing, like, doesn't make a whole lot of
0: sense when you like do the background and realize that Jesus was Jewish. So oh.
1: that is literally kill the killed We're of it. not Jews, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Church in the 1940s, though, the poor choices they made were almost legion. Technically, the Church took a political neutral position in Europe uh, at the time, while Europe was burning around them. However, historians have unearthed documents, multiple documents, that show that the Nazi Party used the Vatican to smuggle the fortunes that they had amassed while plundering and conquering Europe out of Europe. It's estimated that $250 in today's uh, currency was sent to Argentina for Nazi use via something called the Vatican Pipeline. A similar system was set up and used by the Ustasha, who were the Yugoslavian Nazis.
1: Nice!
0: Yes. The purpose of the money was to help Nazis escape from the consequence of their war crimes, uh, and there have been no real consequences for the church for having done this, unfortunately.
1: The church doesn't have, face a lot of consequences to be ge- to, in general, no, let's just not. say.
0: So let's draw some of these threads together and look at the case of Roberto Calvi. He was an Italian financier known as God's Banker because of his close connection to the Vatican, to the Vatican, if you're the fans. Vatican, <laughs> it's the Vatican. It's very bougie of I mean. you. Yeah. <laughs> to the Vatican. Italy has always been an interesting place to do business uh, with a government that hasn't been incredibly stable and a relaxed attitude towards some of its rules. It was both a great and terrible place to make money. I agree. Enter Roberto Colvi, who was president of Italy's second largest bank. Unfortunately, however, in 1978, the Central Bank of Italy concluded an investigation into Calvi and his bank and found that he had illegally transferred $27 million in 1970 value out of the country. So, 27 million uh, lira in 1970 lira. This led, eventually, to the collapse of his bank. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. About two weeks before the collapse, however, Calvi wrote to Pope John Paul II, letting him know about the dire straits that he was in, and because he was in dire straits, the church was in dire straits, since they were one of the bank's biggest investors. Uh, forensic audit found that Calvi's bank uh, had debts totaling 1.5 billion lira, <laughs> 19, 1970s lira, and a lot of that was owed to the Italian mob. Ooh, that's never
1: a good place you want to be.
0: So the letter I mentioned that Calvi sent to the church seemed to imply that they knew exactly what was happening all along, even though they denied it, which may explain why, in 1984, the Vatican Bank agreed to pay off 120 of Calvi's creditors, which cost them 225 million lira. Now, you remember the missing case, the case of the missing girl, Emanuela Orlandi, from earlier? Mm -hmm. One of the theories in her disappearance was that the mob took her to force the church to repay some of the loans that they had made them. These payments that they made on behalf of Calvi would have been part of that repayment demand. Ah. so the theory And her is, dad worked at the bank. And her dad worked at the bank. So the theory was Emmanuela was kidnapped, she was being held ransom so the mob could get some of their money back when God's banker Calvi defaulted on all, all these shady like borrowings that he had done from them. So, at this point, Calvi was looking at some jail time for funneling money out of Italy and some extremely shady business practices, and he had pissed off a lot of very powerful and very scary people. Yeah. Then he made his biggest mistake. He ran. Oh. By stepping outside the law, he wasn't able to ask for its protection. And he ran as far away as London. The mistake ended on Blackfriars Bridge in London one night in June 1982. When the 62-year-old supposedly stuffed bricks in his suit pocket, then put a noose around his neck, and jumped.
1: Yeah, because that's (laughs) something you totally do yourself, Yeah, and doesn't at all sound like the work of the mob. Yeah, all
0: 62-year-olds are strong enough to do that in a very public, well-traversed area. Mm -hmm, Sure, -hmm. sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. So there have been a lot of questions and conspiracy theories about the whole affair. Would he have been strong enough to commit suicide in that way? Probably not. Was it a fringe mobster he had been hanging out with in London that could be blamed for a staged suicide? Probably, since that guy was found a couple of months later dead from 15 stab wounds to the face.
1: <laughs> also, yeah, if you're, like, cozying up with criminals once, you're probably not hanging out with, like, um, Mrs. Murple for no. the rest of your time. No, no, no.
0: Uh, If it was neither suicide Nor mob hit Was it the church worried About what he could say About them Or was it The Italian mob Who he had taken For at least 50 million the 1970 liras Uh, I would put
1: my money On the the mob (laughs) One of the two Like either the British guy Yep Or Yep
0: so, the funnest conspiracy theory, though, is that he was killed by members of a fraternal order that he belonged to, known as the Propaganda Due. Members of the order call themselves the neri which translates to Black Friars. And can you remember which London Bridge Colby found himself hanging off of? Black Friars. Black Friars, yep. Uh, so, that just added a whole new layer of fun to the conspiracy. Uh, in 2005, five people went on trial for Colby's murder, um... Uh, there was a couple of mobsters, one of their ex-girlfriends, a mafia boss in London of the area of the era, and Colby's own bodyguard. All were acquitted in 2007, however, due to lack of evidence, and no further charges have been brought
1: since. Well, yeah, that's how the mob rolls. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they rarely get caught on their like really bad crimes. They get caught <laughs> for tax evasion. Yes, exactly. That's how every mobster goes down. Yep. So let's go
0: back to Vatican City though, Uh, the church, the structure of the church itself is something of a mystery, there are offices and committees that are shrouded in secrets that people don't really know about. One of the most well known examples of this, I guess, being well known for not knowing very much, is what happens in meetings to select the new pope. We don't know, we know the results of votes and that's it. And then there's the office of the devil's advocate, and if you want to know more about that, check out one of the blog posts that I wrote a couple months ago on it. Recently though, and I mean in just the last five years, there was a press conference held by one of these secret committees in the church that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes about some of the internal workings. So there is a jury of priests that are sat to address the worst of the worst sins, and these are the sins that not just any priest can forgive. This group is known as the Apostolic Penitentiary, aka the Tribunal of Conscience, and it wasn't a publicly acknowledged group until 2009, when they held that press conference to confirm that a they existed and to b explain what they do. So technically, they're a body separate from the Catholic Church, and their only role is to hear confession about the worst kinds of sin, of which there are five, and the first three can only be committed by priests. They are if a priest breaks the seal of confession, which explanatory. Uh, If a priest hears confession from someone he's had sexual relations with, you can't forgive that. Uh, If a person wants to be a priest but has participated directly in an abortion in the past, he has to get special dispensation and forgiveness from the special counsel. The other two sins that this group looks at are sins that can be committed by anyone. Uh, The first is defiling the Holy Eucharist, so the the wafer and the wine. If you make a party out of that, you would have to go ask forgiveness from this group. And trying to assassinate a Pope. (laughs) (laughs) That is such a narrow and specific... Yes. I don't think they meet very often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: like...
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Not only is the political structure constantly surprising those of us on the outside, but the physical structure of the Vatican is always surprising its residents, visitors, and historians. The most famous structure at the Vatican is St. Peter's Basilica, which is the primary church. The version we know now was designed and begun in the 16th century. But underneath St. Peter's are the remains of buildings that were put up by such famous ancient Romans as Constantine, Caligula, and Nero. Most important for why the main church in Catholicism was built in that spot is that it sits over a first century necropolis where Peter, one of the twelve apostles and first pope is buried. Uh, As the site of an influential government and religion for centuries, smack in the middle of one of the richest capital cities for the same number of centuries, the Vatican was built with a lot of secret ways to get in, out, and around in it. For example, there is a hidden passageway that is built into a hollow wall. They figure it was probably put in there in 1277, and it leads from the Pope's personal rooms to the Castel St. Angelo, which is outside the Vatican and looks like a stereotypical castle with a moat around it and really high walls. And Popes have used the Castel and the Passageway since the Middle Ages when they needed to beat a hasty retreat out of the Vatican.
1: I was going to say it's a brothel, but... (laughs) Some of
0: the Popes, I'm sure, used it to go visit mistresses. (laughs) this is my favorite part. If you ask people who visit what the most powerful impression they have of the structure, they're likely to mention the art. After all, Vatican is home to the world's biggest art collection. Uh, Some of it is more appropriate than others. In 1516, Raphael was commissioned by a Cardinal Bebiena to paint some questionable for a priest murals on the walls of his bathroom. The Vatican doesn't include this room on its official tours because it features images of Venus naked doing her hair with her legs akimbo and Pan pleasuring himself. <laughs> so, a journalist got access to the room from a friend of a friend of a friend type of deal and uh, drew some very sketchy pictures <laughs> of what he found in there. <laughs> so, on the whole, I learned that the people history building politics of the vatican are a little sketchy around the edges at time i don't have the exact number but a lot of the headlines a lot of the websites i was looking at were saying that um vatican city has the highest per capita crime rate of the world i think that's just because there's so
1: many tourists and so few people and yeah so like pickpockets well you have tourists coming in so it's probably a high pickpocket but you don't have a whole lot of people living there that's and it's just not it. very big yes so it's it's a math yeah. problem yes Right, so it's not probably necessarily have more crime than say New York, but there's a crap load the, of people live who live yeah. in New York. Yeah. So that was
0: my fun little tour through some of the insanity that is the Vatican. Fun times, and that's just like scratching surfaces. I know. <laughs> oh, the Vatican. <laughs> yeah. So that was our episode for this week we hope you enjoyed it if you would like to know more about the show and see our show notes head over to our website which is www.rabbitholespodcast.com while you're there check out the merch tab which takes you to our Redbubble store where you can pick up some of our merch to wrap us out in the big bad world or check out our support tab which links to the patreon page and you can come on board as a
1: patron of the show you can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter at RabbitholesPod. We are on Instagram at rabbit holes Podcast and Facebook at rabbit holes Podcast page. If you like what we're doing, you can give us a review, rate us on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also recommend us on Facebook, or you can just give an oral recommendation to all of your friends, like I was doing today to my new coworker. And then he recommended us to his wife. So they're both Yay. listening. So <laughs> hi, if you catch up to here. Hi, new co-workers. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying your new baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you
0: want to get in touch with us to send us information about a rabbit hole that you like to fall down or want us to fall down for you, you can do that with our email address, which is rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. And just a reminder that the Ottawa Podcast Festival is coming up on August 24th of this year, 2019, uh, happening in Ottawa, of all places. Head over to the festival website, which is ottawapodcastfestival.com, to see the lineup and get your tickets. And uh, that's about it for tonight. One last thing to do to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Please.